0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today we're talking to Chris Ritter, Britain postdoctoral fellow at Georgia Tech, and he's going to tell us a little bit about how he gamifies some of his communication classes. But before that, we'll share some feedback from a listener on the website.
1: Yeah, Jamie left us some feedback on our episode, A Gamer Family Saving the Universe. And it really, I think, is a story that a lot of our listeners are going to find familiar because I think gaming played a major part in most families' together time. Absolutely. I think
0: for bonding, you know, spending time together, I have lots of memories of spending time with my family gaming. So, I mean, not video gaming necessarily, although we did as well, but a lot of different types of games.
1: You know, I was surprised actually when I sat down to think back on it about how much gaming we actually did. Jamie says, my family has always been into gaming together. When I was a kid, we played Sorry, Life, Clue, and Monopoly some of our neighbors preferred card games to board games, and being kids, bullshit was one of our favorite to play. If parents were around, we play hearts, war, or spades. Now that we're adults, whenever we get together, we play pegs and jokers, which is my parents' new favorite game. They even got my husband into it enough that he made his own custom set of boards and pegs. My best friend's family got me into D&D, and with various groups of friends over the years, we've played an occasional pen and paper RPG. Now that I have my own little family, our games have changed from board and dice to video games, which are easier for a non-reader to enjoy. We play Skylanders, Fruit Ninja, and Plants vs. Zombies. That's a great collection.
0: I mean, she mentioned <laughs> some of my family's favorite games in there too.
1: <laughs> yeah. The um especially I mean the card games. My mother was, was really into card games and those those are just so easy to take and enjoy anywhere. hmm Yeah, exactly. Like just
0: I, I have a a picnic backpack. Uh Set, and I actually one of the things I made sure to include in it when I was sort of setting up the default stuff that's included in that is a deck of cards because no matter what, oh, yeah, you, know, you you can you know pull out a deck of cards and play cards anywhere and it's always kind of fun like if you're going to a concert uh, you know like an outdoor concert or something which is mostly what i use the backpack for it's really easy just to sit down and you know if you've got four people you can play hearts or spades if you've got two people you can play gin you know there's all kinds of different things you can just kind of you know at your disposal you have a bunch of different things you can do so
1: yeah and you know it's interesting because card games have never had the kind of bad rep that the video games have had. I mean, a a lot of times it's family time or social time. I mean, it was it was really popular for with adults more uh, in the retro area of 50s and 60s. Yeah, absolutely. I,
0: my parents used to get together with my aunt and uncle and played um, Pinochle, which I don't know how to play. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> at all. I, I know it has a special deck of cards, which we always had. I, it used to be so hard to find like a regular deck of cards at home. We always had Pinochle decks, which have more um, of the royal suits in, in them. So, but I never, you know, I never learned how to play Pinochle. It was a four-person game, and I remember many Saturday nights being, you know, uh, at my aunt's house. I was watching All Creatures Great and Small on PBS <laughs> while my parents played Pinochle with the family, so. Yeah, we had we had a deck of Rook. Oh, yeah. Rook is fun. Rook is really yeah. fun. I haven't played that in a long time. Um, she mentioned a couple of other games, too, that are some of my family's favorites. She mentioned Canasta on the, in the post, and she joking, you know, she said she doesn't know how to play Canasta. Canasta is a pretty uh, complex kind of game to learn. Oh, though. yeah. I play that with my mom. My mom and I can get um, pretty cutthroat games at Canasta going because you can you can really be mean in Canasta, which can be kind of fun. And she also mentioned mentions a dice game called 10,000 when she's the first person I've ever known to know that game outside my family.
1: Yeah, the, uh, my uh, brother-in-law's family apparently plays a whole lot of dice games, and that's something that I never knew anything about growing up. Yeah, we, we played Yahtzee, there was Yahtzee, and then my
0: brother... Oh, well, yeah, Yahtzee. Uh, Yahtzee yeah. everybody knows Yahtzee. Um, yeah. My brother must have probably at a bar somewhere must have played 10,000 with some friends and then brought it and we we would we would go camping and that was a big thing we would do camping is on you know the evenings we'd sit around with the um, lanterns and play dice or play cards and um, I remember my everybody getting pretty rowdy playing 10,000 I play a game now um, it Farkle I'm sure a lot of people heard of Farkle the dice game I have a spicy farkle game, which Ooh. is absolutely addicting, and it it you actually play to twenty five thousand points on spicy farkle. Each die has a different red number, so one through six. One die has a red number, and if you roll a red number, it doubles whatever score. So oh wow, you get straight on your first roll, and you roll one through six, and you have two reds. It's normally fifteen hundred for a. Uh, uh straight but if you have two reds then it's worth 4500 points (laughs) oh my goodness so it gets it adds up really quickly like when we first started playing it we're like oh my god 25,000 points we're going to be here forever but you'd be surprised at how quickly it can go
1: yeah well and that kind of moves me on into the um, I remember the card game that we played the most right before I went off to school was Uno.
0: Oh, yes. Uno. Oh, wow. My college roommate and I had an ongoing Uno game that we would play one one long game every quarter. So quarter is 10 weeks. So we would play one game, you know, for 10 weeks. How did you do that? Oh, we just, you know, we just we would stop at some point, you know, we'd play for an hour or whatever, you know, time we're breaking. Huh. And we'd stop and we'd just continually keep track of the score. And <laughs> there was always some major bet like scrubbing the shower out or <laughs> Oh my goodness. Cleaning the apartment that was on the line. So so there was a lot at stake. <laughs> It gave you a
1: reason to be nasty.
0: It gave you a reason to be very cutthroat. And um, I think she lost the shower one and we hadn't like, and I know this is disgusting, but we we're in college, so we hadn't like really cleaned the shower out. That... <laughs> so it was in like, it needed good scrubbing. And so she lost that that turn like like you know and we always had a predetermined time like the last day of the quarter we sat down to play and we're like okay at eight o'clock you know we'll wrap up and we have at this time and then that ends it and she lost that that game and um the next some the next quarter's bet I think was a six pack of beer because she's like I'm not betting cleaning anything (laughs) (laughs) uh
1: she learns well (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah, Uno, Uno. Yeah, Uno's fun. So,
1: Well, now, did you guys play very many board games? Um, I don't remember
0: playing a lot of board games back then. Um, I don't remember having a lot of them. When I had when I had gone to college, I don't remember packing them up and taking them with me, thinking I didn't have a lot of time. I don't even remember how we ended up with the Uno cards. I think they must have been Annie's, and she had them, and then we just started playing. And I don't even know how we ended up with the Epic game. We did yeah. some, I mean, you know, it was college, so we did some drinking games and things like that and quarters and all those kinds of things, which talk about gamifying, getting drunk, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you can gamify anything. Can gamify anything. <laughs> we all. I don't know why, but we always had tons of board games. Mm-hmm. Ever since I can remember, that was always, always. a big part of um, the Christmas presents were new board games. Yeah. And um I really, really loved board games. What
2: were
0: some of the ones that, I mean, uh, uh, Jamie mentioned some that I remember playing Monopoly, Sorry, Life, and Clue. Um, I had a VHS version of Clue. Now, that oh, wow. Ate me. That was, it was kind of awkward because you got clues from like uh, scenes that they showed and it kind of tried to tie it in. It didn't work particularly huh. well, but I remember playing that. But what were some of the games that do you remember getting for Christmas?
1: Well, I know that my absolute favorite board game was Sorry, mm-hmm. um, and I also loved Battleship. Oh, yeah, Battleship. But later, when uh, we started, we were in junior high and on into high school, we started getting more and more puzzle-type games, and there was this one game, I, I tried to find um, the name of it online. One one was Racco. Did you ever hear Racco? I don't remember Racco, No it's basically a card game and the cards are all numbered and you get dealt a series of cards and you get, you have to get them all in chronological order, lowest to highest, but you only have so many moves Mm -hmm. and all you can do is trade the cards with either what's discarded or draw a wild card. And that's all you can do. Um, That was always fun. But this other one was a puzzle game and you got a tray of blocks that were um, each block was divided up into red and white colors. And there were a lot of uh, puzzle puzzle pieces or um, puzzle cards Mm -hmm. that gave a particular pattern. And you stuck those on this turning timer dial. And so the, your card would be in front of you, but as the timer went, it turned away from you. So you had to try to get your puzzle put together. Oh. By the time your picture came back around, you only got to see it one or two times. And I loved that because it it fit the way my mind worked. Right. And, of course, you always love the games you win, but I uh, really... <laughs> I really loved because I could just put those pieces together, red up, red down, red left, red, and I could get those. I think there was about 16 blocks. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That sounds Yeah, cool. it was fun. If anybody knows the name of that game, let me know. <laughs> it was a blast.
0: Yeah, if you're listening and can give us a, a nudge in the
1: direction for that,
0: that would be pretty cool because that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: And I like the way Jamie talks about how they made the transition because gaming is important mm-hmm. and it's important enough that they want to continue it being a Family thing, and they've found family-friendly video games right. that they can all participate in. Yeah, we haven't talked
0: about, and I don't know if you know too much about Skylanders, but it's it's a really kind of brilliant uh, setup for for p- gaming. Like they they actually have little figurines that stand on a little um, oh god, like a, a communicator pad or whatever that talks to the you know game console that you're playing on. Yeah. And then you can you can have two people play, so you can have two different characters. And, and in the middle of the game, if you come to an area, let's say like some all the different characters that you play have different abilities. So if you come to an area where somebody needs to jump over like a ravine or something like that, you can swap out like the character who doesn't jump or doesn't fly very far, and put on another character that does. And and so you're you're sort of playing your own um, your own group of gamers just by yourself with, with the different characters that you have.
1: Yeah. See, now I want to go back now. I read an article in wired magazine recently about a kid's game where you could, by the figures and abilities and stuff like that but they were talking about how it was um, how addictive it was and how it drove parents insane because of the constant revenue they were having to put out for this game. <laughs> I'm going to have to yeah. wait and see if that was it. Yeah, I think I think that might be you have to buy <laughs>
0: different characters. I don't know about the abilities, but it's it's like any any other um, RPG where you're leveling up the characters as well, so you, there might be ways to to oh hey, to to level them up higher I'm not really sure yeah. but I mean they have from what I've seen just in the stores th- there's probably 30 different characters you can play oh, that all have different abilities and different things you can do so it, it is yeah it's it's definitely <laughs> definitely a, a, a very big revenue stream without a doubt uh, but it's pretty fun and, and it, it it's it's something that parents and kids can enjoy because it it, it appeals to both, you know, Yeah. learning how to play the game and being able to kind of jump in and do different things. I think it appeals to both parents and kids, which I think is always a benefit. Like Jamie was talking about things that are easier for kids to play who don't, aren't going to, you know, sit down and read the cards. So.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's so much you can learn and teach through gaming. I mean, there's, You always run into the situation with your kids when they first start going to school or when they start first start having playmates where they take each other's toys or they don't know how to share or trying to do things in a teamwork situation where they began to work outside of themselves and. I mean, gaming is the, the easiest and friendliest way to do this, and especially something I think is so important is developing sportsmanship. Exactly. Exactly.
0: That is That was huge for my mom. You know, like, we, we play games all the time, and, you know, my mom is really hard to beat still. I mean, she's 78. She's still really hard to beat at cards. Like, I don't know how she does it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like her special power. Um, But but she was never like she never went easy on me so that I would win. Um, I was but but it wasn't really competitive. Like there was no rubbing it in if somebody won and somebody didn't. And I've never been a sore loser. Like I lose all the time, like the vast majority of times that I've played Ticket to Ride. I, I can tell you I've won Ticket to Ride once, once. I've played it probably you know, 15 times since I got it and I've won it once. I still love that game. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't ever feel like I need to win. You know, I'm more likely in my group of friends, I'm a little bit more like my mom. I'm very likely to win some of the card games. I don't know some sort of instinct that sort of comes with playing a lot, I think. But learning that to let go, to, to be able to engage it, to be happy for your friends when they win. All of that is stuff that, you know, are skills that translate really well into life.
1: Uh, Yeah, I was not always a good, good loser. And I'm, I've learned that more as an adult Mm -hmm. and I'm just really now at the point where I play a lot of board games as well as video games. I love board games and card games. I, I enjoy playing with my friends more than I enjoy winning. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. I enjoy the time that we spend together and knowing that we're going to be getting together to play, you know, and sometimes it's fun. You know, we played catchphrase a few weeks ago and it was girls against guys and we just trampled them. I mean, they didn't stand <laughs> And with some games, it's a real benefit when you know the people you're playing with really well, because we were yeah. to communicate with each other because catchphrases, you know, you have to get your team to say the word without saying the word or gesturing or anything like that. And so because we the, the three girls knew each other so well that <laughs> it was just absolutely seamless. <laughs> oh, yeah. The guys did not know each other as well. So it, it was more of a struggle for them to communicate with each other. But um. You know it was really yeah. fun, <laughs>
1: yeah, and I'm finding that true with uh my friends. I just started this weekend playing draw something on my iPhone, oh yeah, 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 I know that craze started a long time ago, but uh I didn't know I could get it for the iPhone, and I started playing with my friends this weekend, and I can see the inside jokes, I can see where we we have our own language and I mean, that just that just makes me happy. I mean, they're not there and I get their little picture and I know because we're friends, we've got this experience and it brings up a memory and it's just it's very it's very sweet, you know. Yeah, it's a nice way. That's
0: a really interesting app and a really interesting game. I, I, you know, I played it for a while. It was one of those that k- kind of a flash in the pan. Like I was really into it at first, and then after a while, it's just like, oh, this is suddenly feeling like a job, which has a lot to do with the fact that like I had like 15 people I was playing. <laughs> oh golly. It goes from like, oh, this is fun, to oh my god, I have how many ga- how many drawings I have to do? I don't have time for this right now. Oh wow. Same thing that happened with me with uh, Words with Friends as well. Like I was really into playing it, and then all of a sudden I had too many people playing it, and I was like, oh, is this too much work? But anyway. Okay. there's no like i'm not sure what the the game parameters are and <laughs> draw something i guess you're trying to get the longest streak of correct pictures right because there's no like win condition win conditions
1: oh yeah i i have no idea i just I, i'm enjoying it strictly from seeing the way that that my friends think yeah yeah I, I i don't i i really don't care about um what the stats are or, w- or what you're supposed to be able to do to win. I just, I can't wait to see wh- how they interpreted something and how they tried to communicate it to me. It's sort of like a, an entirely different way of, of talking with each other and getting to know each other. I just think it's a, it's a hoot. Yeah, that's, I, I appreciated watching how people
0: drew um, drew pictures as well. Like, yeah. You know, and, and the motion and actually being able to watch, you know, asynchronously being able to watch in real time as they were drawing and coming. Yeah. <laughs> and watching people get frustrated and, you know, scrapping the whole page and starting over again. And yeah, that's me. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> getting to experience and be in the moment. You're an artist. You should be
1: natural. <laughs> well, I get frustrated, though, I, I because that see, that's to me is what is the beauty of draw something is because it doesn't matter if you're an artist because the, the medium is very limited. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would start off with the smallest pen size, trying to draw this elaborate thing. And you very, very quickly realize how fat your finger is. Right. <laughs> and that this is just not going to work. And that's the reason why it is a form of communication more than it is a form of drawing. Right. Because the, the, the people that are sending me stuff, I mean, my husband was brilliant at it and he's the first one to tell you that he does not draw, Mm -hmm. but he has a way of communicating ideas and it was just really, it was, it was, it was hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah.
1: Well, we we really love exploring the idea of families gaming together and, and how they game together and how that brings the family together as a unit. And if you've got any stories that you would like to share with us or some of your favorite games maybe that we didn't mention, uh, especially uh, games that are on the market today or desktop games or games that you're playing with your family, we'd love to hear about it. You can leave your comments on our blog at gameongirl.com or you can leave it through twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or you can find us on facebook at game on girl podcast coming up we talk with
0: chris ritter britain postdoctoral fellow at georgia tech and a gamifying communications instructor so stay tuned Thanks for listening to Game on Girl. Today we talk with Chris Ritter. Chris is a fellow PhD, a gamer, and the Briton Fellow at Georgia Tech. Since completing his dissertation and research about video games, Chris has modified his teaching approach to gamify some of his learning strategies. And as our listeners know, gamification is something we're very, very interested here at Game on Girl. So Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking with us today.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about, your, um, about yourself and your gaming history.
3: I'm, I've been a gamer all my life. I'm actually wearing my t-shirt that says video games have ruined my life. Good thing I have two more left. <laughs> um, my, dad, my dad turned me on to games on his old ancient Compaq with like a folding keyboard and a tiny little like four-inch screen and it was black and white and I played Sopwith Camel. On my dad's compact when I was like I don't know six (laughs) five or something like he was totally he totally geeked out about all that all the early computers and all the early video games so we've been PC gamers like the entire time and still are still a an avid PC gamer what else do you want me to go through like my CV light I mean do you want me to give like a history of my um my academic life
2: <laughs>
0: like sure.
3: what i did in college and and how i got into game game studies and stuff
0: yeah sure if you want to talk about that i've talked about my okay. with that on the show so yeah sure
3: okay so um i was i'm an english major i went to university of idaho from t- 1998 to 2002 and i was an english major and i graduated and immediately did their ma program in literature, studied David Foster Wallace and Postmodern American Lit, the late great DFW, and took a couple of years off um, when my ex-wife was getting her master's, and I was working at uh, Boise State, and I kind of got more into cultural studies because I was teaching it Mm. to the students there in in my freshman comp classes.
0: Was that part that of their me, curriculum, or was that something that you had sort of wandered well, into? Well, it
3: was it was one of those programs where they kind of let you do whatever your whatever you want subject wise mm-hmm. in freshman comp, which is pretty common. Yeah. As you know. Yeah. As you well know. <laughs> so um so I just I got into um, semiotics and I had this cool semiotics re- semiotic readings of various pop culture texts and things and it was just a lot of fun. The, the students got really into it and I became really interested in it and then when I applied to Wazoo basically said at that point like I'm still a lit person but I'm also into other texts and I don't quite know what those are yet Mm -hmm. and so I got I got to Wazoo and I took a bunch of classes in you know things like in, in rhetoric and in visual culture and stuff you know Victor Villanueva, Joan Burbick um, John Hegland, Kristen Arla, Patty Erickson. Yay. Like all the great. Yeah. All the great. Um, all my favorite people from WSU. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kristen absolutely.
0: was on my committee.
3: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Patty was on mine. It was Patty Victor, Jason Foreman. Um, Jason's awesome too. When I was there, I kind of got the most encouragement. Ma- you know, I, my, <laughs> my subject matters that I choose are always like, I always think that I can't use them at first. (laughs) Like you're so
0: radical or you're so out there. Yeah. People are going to be like, or
3: it's weird or I'll get made fun of, you know? And like, and indeed, like when I I first did my first few sort of game studies type projects in some of my lit classes at Wazoo, some people were like, uh, they did the whole high art, low art thing mm, to me.
2: Right.
3: And that was really off putting. And the, retcon people were all very um, welcoming to it, right? So I switched over, and I, <laughs> I basically said at that point, like, okay, I'm I'm in this other box. And um, for our
0: listeners who may not know, <laughs> there tends to be a little tension between rhetoric and composition teachers and literature teachers, because it's it's although they're all falling under kind of the big umbrella of English.
3: Um, yeah, and the rhetoricians would say. Everybody is doing rhetorical analysis, I, I,
0: and I would agree with that.
3: In the lit people,
0: yeah, even with my literature background, I, w- I would totally agree with that. But but yeah. a, a lot of there there still tends to be a little. Mm, I I want a different word other than tension.
3: Oh no, there's tension. That,
0: yeah, because yes. <laughs> that's an.
3: There's tension. There's worse. I mean, academia is a lot like. Um, Academia is a lot – it's like um, the, the super-civilized, polite mafia, <laughs> in Which is
1: a, a great percent. improvement over the great rhetoric composition wars of 1822.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and those were quite deadly, as we know. And yes. God, we Lots codified of um,
1: yeah.
3: rules of parliamentary procedure <laughs> to avoid such wars mm-hmm. in the future. Yes. Yes. It's a more civilized age. It is. It's a more civilized age. It is
0: so, so for anybody who didn't know, there there does when you switch over from from one side to the other, there can be as a graduate student you can you can fall into a little political intrigue that way.
3: It's true. It's true. And I probably like if certain people were listening to this, would they'd probably get pissed at me for just saying this. Just airing this like little tiny bit of honest dirty laundry. <laughs> I don't care. That's all right. So um <laughs> I don't I'm not playing that game anymore. Good. So I was interested in pop culture and I came to realize later that really what I was interested in all along was rhetoric and in the way that uh, people make meaning out of the stories they tell and the games they play, the practices they, they undergo, that I went from learning about stories in print to learning about stories and identities and representations in Pop culture in, in you know in movies and in ads mm-hmm. and whatever turn and then all of those things, plus the rhetorics of procedures in video games that video games are like so much more brilliantly complex than other texts because they allow you to act out meaningful metaphors for like meaningful actions. Right. It's, not, it's not even just that you're seeing these things and, and absorbing them, which you are, and hearing. Right. And, like
0: you would be if you were watching a movie or a more passive form of entertainment right. that you don't actually right. impact. Yeah, we talk about that a lot.
3: Yeah. Right. And, you know, Ian Bogost, who's one of the biggest names in game studies, he's here at Georgia Tech, he, he coined the term rhetorical, or I'm um, sorry, procedural rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And that was huge in my dissertation because my dissertation looked at World of Warcraft and the many rhetorics of race in that game and how, um, and basically it concluded that lo and behold, there are, you know, five or six different sorts of rubrics for how we talk about race and how we think about race that are all historically, um, contextualized. I mean, all, they all come out of the history of race and racism since the Enlightenment, and uh, they're all there in some form. Everything from the sort of biologist notion of like different races being like different species, which mm-hmm. you see in the different races in the game, and right. how they all have different sort of biological abilities, and, and also cultural preferences and the sort of representational Cues that the games designers use. You know, they mix and match tons and tons of different, tons and tons of different um, images and uh, tropes and so forth, but.
0: They're still building off uh,
3: stereotypes. But they do build tons of stereotypes Mm -hmm. left and right. And many of those stereotypes in the context of race are really racist. Mm -hmm. I mean, foals are kind of the. The nadir of that, basically, you know, the trolls being described as like vicious, brutal, cannibalistic, primal, um, primal mm-hmm. stupid, mm-hmm. weak. And, and they all... given happen.
0: accents that go with uh, darker skinned cultures.
3: Well, Caribbean blacks. Yeah, exactly. 19th century. I mean, they come out of... Most of their kind of imagery comes right out of uh, like colonial era... Images of Caribbean Blacks.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, yeah, the trolls are problematic.
2: <laughs>
3: the Taurans, and they're the sort of every Indian. And I don't even know about those new Pandaren, man. It's been a long time since I've been playing WoW. Are you still
0: playing? No, no. I, I was. I went back. I left, actually, and then I went back when I was doing the research because... I had missed the Wrath of the Lich King expansion in its entirety. I had no idea it had even happened, and I realized that I couldn't be quite so out of touch while I was interviewing people. <laughs> so I went back to play, and then I left, and then I went back again uh, shortly after, well, not a few months after Cataclysm came out. And now, because of some of the politics with Blizzard, and especially some stuff that happened with Diablo 3, I have no desire to put any money toward Blizzard ever again. So...
3: Oh, well, you're off Blizzard. Why? I don't know. I didn't know about any of this. Oh, really? (laughs) Do tell.
1: Uh, Oh, to go back and listen to our review of Diablo 3. Well, I'm going to bounce you two back to your dissertations.
2: (laughs)
3: Go ahead.
1: Um, I'm curious. uh, We've talked about it a little bit with Regina, but to me, it's unusual, since it's been a while since I've been in school, it's very unusual to include a video game or to base a dissertation on a video game. Did you find that a difficult thing to present or had you, had had you, did you have some predecessors before that, that kind of paved the way?
3: Regina, you might be able to help me on this. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. There may have been one or two folks ahead of us at Wazoo who wrote on video games I I don't know. I mean, certainly, I mean, David Leonard, David, yeah, was a professor at Wazu, yeah, and, but he didn't um, do his,
0: he didn't do any of his coursework. I think we were we were among the first sort of incoming students, in, in my at least, because we're we were in different departments. The so Chris was in English, and I was in American Studies, so we had a lot yeah. of crossover between our classes, but we were in different different departments.
2: Yeah, um,
0: I don't know that anybody before me in American Studies was talking about games. Mm-hmm. A lot of people
3: after were.
1: Well, sure. is it just being more readily accepted now as yeah. a part of uh, pop get, culture, and so it's it part of the conversation?
3: Yeah. Well, it's, and it's also that the game studies field has now had a good solid decade mm-hmm. under its belt to like establish a lot of really great work. You know, yeah. there's That's and true. there's so many people in all these different fields. Doing this work, is very cool. It's like yeah. it's incredibly interdisciplinary field. Yeah,
0: that's that's what I and that's what I loved about it, and that's what that's why I chose American Studies over continuing with English because I had had a literature degree for my master's degree. So yeah. I wanted, but I wanted to do this kind of research with um, interviewing people. So that was one of the reasons why uh, yeah. I had stepped into sort of a. a area that was more likely to do ethnographic work
2: so
3: oh that's cool yeah yeah and well, in my case you know in my case it was um it was mostly also Victor Villanueva who you know he was the chair of American Studies yep. even though he was still in English and um he was my chair he my dissertation chair mm-hmm. and he was just always very interested in encouraging yeah in everything that I said about Warcraft, and I was just blabbing about it all the time in class. So when I <laughs> when I wow. came to him and I said like, you know I, you know maybe I think might might be cool to write about uh, World of Warcraft, <laughs> and he was like, sure, go ahead. Political analysis, there's political economy and racism, it's just racism. It's all awesome. Go for it.
1: That's so, Victor. Wow. Yep. Yeah, that's it's an awfully nice uh, person to have encouraging mm-hmm. you. <laughs> oh.
3: He was incredible. Yeah. He was totally amazing. And, um, he is. It, it, the, the he's,
1: he's definitely
0: uh, one of the rock stars of uh, the WSU English department
3: by far. Yes. Yes. And also a very sweet, sweet man. Yeah, he's really a really great guy. He's, and a wonderful, encouraging teacher. Yeah. yeah. So, well,
1: it's, it's interesting then as far as – your interest in rhetoric and composition and literature, and we're acknowledging the schools are acknowledging academia is acknowledging that games is part of our culture. It's Mm -hmm. a major part of our culture. What do you think that it contributes to our communications as far as a society or as a storyteller?
3: So what is, what do games specifically is is as like a medium communicate or give to our communications. Well, for one thing, the networking of it all you know i think the rapid networking of game consoles and of course pcs and mmos and you know you're starting to see a couple of cross-platform games and oh yeah obviously you know the platforms are still mired in their own silly like capitalistic politics bullshit but um (laughs) you know console wars and so forth but the um at least as far as the PC goes, and this is why I love the PC, uh, video games are, uh, you know, they're bringing people together. Mm-hmm. I have a stand, I have a weekly game date with my dad in Idaho and my brother up at U of I and my, um, and my other brother and my, and my stepson. It's like wow. the coolest thing ever. And yeah. we play Diablo 3 and we play, Border, we're playing Borderlands 2 right now. And it's just, it's in, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like. The dream that you always, that at least I, well, I don't know, I always had but didn't know I had, I guess, of being able to do something fun and, like, connect with the people I love through this activity that we do, no matter where we are.
0: Mm -hmm. Because it can transcend your location and it can transcend the time and all all kinds of different things.
3: I mean, and that's pretty much personally, you know, entirely why I do it. That and... That and the fun of, you know, escaping into a fun mm-hmm. other world, of course, sure. which I've always loved.
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, that for people who are literature majors or who gravitate toward reading, I, I think mm-hmm. gaming has that same or certain types of gaming have that same getting lost, like you said, in a different environment. and Oh,
2: absolutely. In
0: this case, and, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, my focus for the dissertation was on uh, role-playing games, so specifically games yeah. where you had to create an avatar, and you went in and you actually had an impact on the story. And in mm-hmm. our last episode, we actually talked to... Um, the community manager for Bioware, about how how attached people got to some of their characters and some of their games and how outraged oh. they were at the end <laughs> of certain games. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Bioware sort of response to that, which I thought was really fantastic. But I think yeah. people do get attached to the stories and to the environments. And I think that's one of the reasons why persistent worlds like World of Warcraft tend to continue because people do get so invested in their time and their energy that they end up extending in them. So
3: Yeah, you care deeply about Mm -hmm. your your own character. You come well, you know, you come for the game and you stay for the people. Right. And uh, either you make friends or you stay friends, or,
0: or you coerce your friends, friends into playing again, which is how I got roped back yeah, into yeah. it the, the last time I went back. My friends like, we're all yeah. playing, you have to come play with us, and I'm like, oh god, okay, fine.
3: Yeah, right now my best friend and my little brother are back into um, Star Wars Knights of the oh. Old Republic, so they're trying to get me back in, but I'm waiting. I'm I'm holding out for it to go free to play.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is not <laughs> not far on the horizon at this point. So yeah, I
3: just do not have the time for a MMO. Yeah.
0: That's I, I, pay
3: for an MMO. Yeah,
0: I, I can I can understand that. Although I've been tempted by Guild Wars too, but that's a uh, that's a whole other story. So so as you're talking here with us, Chris, about your uh, your family and how you sort of connect with people gaming, how would you define a gamer?
3: Anybody who plays games. Well, no, okay, that's, <laughs> that's not true. I take that back.
1: That's I fine. knew, I knew there would be more. Yeah. That's Why I'm wait- I'm waiting with bated breath yeah. because I knew. That.
3: Well, okay. A gamer is anybody who plays games and proudly admits it. That's a gamer.
1: Okay, so
0: you have to I, sort of have a public persona. Game,
3: plays games and admits it to other people. Let's say maybe they're a little embarrassed. There's still, you know, there's still a little bit of that. A mm-hmm. Little bit of that stigma. A oh, little sure. bit. Sure. You
0: know, Absolutely. It's going away
3: bit by bit. We're chipping away it's at slow, it. But.
0: It's slow going. But I mean, I just had somebody on the, on the Facebook page for the show mention that he's, he's not because I, I talked about um, that senatorial candidate in Maine. Who, oh yes, who was, yes. Who was outed as a gamer?
3: Pat Johnson just sent me, my friend Pat Johnson from Wazu just sent me that link today yeah. this morning. Yeah,
0: so so she was totally the Republican Party like made this whole oh my God she's got a whole second life because she's a rogue in World of Warcraft, and she likes to stab people in the back. And I was like, are you kidding? this this is like a political like they're trying to bash her political cred because she's a gamer so anyway she came back and she she handled it beautifully and i think the people responded to it really well but i had posted that and one of the listeners had said you know i'm not out at work or with a lot of my friends about my interest in gaming because it doesn't mesh with the other aspects of my identity so you know and and there's still there is still that stigma associated with it Sad.
3: Yeah, there yeah. is a little bit of it, but, you know, the people that have the stigma, they're the people that are projecting the mm-hmm. stigma. Anyway, exactly. Are curmudgeons, mm-hmm. you know. They're curmudgeons, yeah. and everybody knows that now. And, like, it's getting to the point, I think, where everybody's just kind of, like, about to just laugh at them and laugh them off.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's <laughs> like, what ended up happening on. with the Republican Party. It's <laughs> They just look like old, stodgy, stick-in-the-muds yeah. who don't understand, you know, technology, which, in yeah. in uh, right now, I think... In any public persona, you need to really understand what's going on with at least some levels of technology. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: So, but but part of your definition is that ne- that need mm-hmm. to sort of have a public persona that's that's a gamer. You can't just be like a closet gamer who plays on the weekends with your friends or whatnot.
3: Well, I suppose you know you you added the term closet there so, <laughs> as if uh, the gamer closet gamer is the gamer who's. Still in the closet. Well, clearly, still in the closet, <laughs> hiding it, hiding it, right? But doing it. And, you know, for that person, would they call themselves a gamer? They probably wouldn't identify with, they're probably trying not to identify with what we call stereotypical gamer culture, right? Mm-hmm. Which is typically young men who really have a lot of anger and like to troll each other and. Have dominance issues, and you know, are like
0: all the other problems.
3: They're getting out their aggression out there about the world, but they are obnoxious as all hell. (laughs) Like everybody else is like, what is wrong with you guys? Mm -hmm. But they dominate the discourse as all the crazies do in all discourses, right? The crazies (laughs) are the loudest, the worst. What is that? Um, what is that line from Yates from The Second Coming? Um, the best lack all conviction, and the worst, speak with passionate intensity. Yes,
0: exactly, exactly. As someone had said that to me once, if you want to really denounce somebody else's point of view, agree with them to, like, some extreme end.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, that really does
1: sort of push it over the edge, so. Well, historically, you're a you're an MMO player, right, Chris?
3: Well, I like MMOs. War- Warcraft was my first and main MMO, I would say. And I and I played Knights um, of the Old Republic, and I played a very very little bit of a couple other things, but mostly it was Warcraft. Um, so I would actually describe myself more as an as a role playing game player. And Those what what play
1: class did you play? and
3: shooters are the games I tend to like the most. Which ones? Role playing games and shooters. Okay. Shooters. First person shooters or third person. The shooters of all kinds. When I got to get the Blasties out, you know, every now and then.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that's what I constantly say. My, my, I've had a bad day is to go into Left or Dead with a chainsaw.
3: <laughs> totally. Because the
0: blood splattering on the screen just makes everything better.
2: It
3: does.
0: Mm-hmm. It really does. So what race and WoW did you play?
3: My main was a Night Elf Hunter.
0: Because you wanted and to I, do the Michael Jackson dance, right?
3: No, nope, I picked Night Elf <laughs> I didn't know they did that initially. I didn't know they did that. I picked them because I I always pick ranged guys. I, I'm I'm a ranged DPSer, okay, through and through. I I like to stand back. I like to kind of see the whole battlefield. I don't like being up in the scrum where there's just chaos and <laughs> and shit. I, I like to stand back and shoot basically, or or occasionally heal, but mostly shoot. So I picked the hunter for that reason. And then and then I picked night elves because they were like. Outdoor, you know, I had all those Tolkien connotations of the Tolkien elves where they're, you know, artsy fartsy and they're like. Right, uh, kind of ethereal
0: you know, or otherworldly.
3: Kind of yeah, yeah. Mm. And then, but they were also blue and really muscular and awesome looking. So <laughs> you know, athletic. I was I can be much. Mod- so my main's name was Hemingway and he was a net elf. Then <laughs> 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 I had Whitman, who was oh. a uh, human priest because Walt Whitman was a, a medic in the Civil War.
1: What are you playing in Borderlands 2?
3: Well, I have one of every class now because we try to, when I play with different friends and family members. Oh, you
1: try to
0: keep on track where you're
3: at. Try to keep our characters in sync so we don't play unless we're playing with those characters with each other. So I have, of course, like a different character for every combination of people that I might play with. So I have, but I started with a Gunzerker because I like going bracka bracka. But, But I, I, have one of everything now. I have you know, the siren has a really really awesome power. So far, oh, yeah. siren's power is the best one because it's such great crowd control. Well, uh, what do you
1: do? You see any commonality or any common threads between these the characters you develop and and the the customization or any of the role playing that you create in your avatar?
3: Well, you know, in terms of you know sort of what kind of characters do I make? But given your your categories, Regina,
1: mm-hmm.
3: on your site, I I'm a self player. I, that's what
0: I was thinking as you were talking. I'm like, mm, this is self. Yeah. I hear self. Yeah,
3: definitely a self player. Mm-hmm. I, I refer to my avatar generally as myself, and I kind of behave as myself. You know, I I don't troll and I don't um, I don't ninja and I you know I talk basically like I talk and that's yeah I'm a, I'm a self so player. You
0: just take yourself in game.
3: Every now and then I'll be more a little bit of a role player and I'll kind of imagine that I'm a different character. I'm kind of doing that with Fallout. It's it's more fun for me to role play in single player games for some reason than multiplayer. Mm. That like in multiplayer games it's like the people already know me.
0: Right. And uh-huh.
3: so not putting on a character for them? Well,
0: well, and and if, as you said, part of the the uh, multiplayer for you is to connect with your dad and your brothers and your family, then, then you want to be going in-game as yourself because that's part of what you're doing is reinforcing those connections.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, but, you know, in, like, Fallout 3, New Vegas, I was kind of thinking, I have a kind of a character who's, he's kind of like my dad plus me. He's, he's like me if I was better with mechanics and, and I had a huge Fu Manchu like my dad. Or my dad he it's not a Fu Manchu that he has, it's a Sam Elliott. My dad has a Sam Elliott mustache. It's just enormous. <laughs> my dude in um in Fallout New Vegas has that mustache and that's pretty fun, imagining myself as like post apocalyptic my dad. Right. So yeah, I'll do that, kinda. But I'm I'm definitely not a um heavy role player or a mastery player my little brother dave absolutely is a mastery, mastery. player
0: do you guys and conflict because of that
3: sometimes like we had a hilarious fight in star wars a few <laughs> weeks ago, or i guess it was a few months ago now hilarious fight where we were we were grouped up and we're running around and did, have you guys played star wars I how ha- much do I, need?
0: I have yeah i've played. no them. i haven't
3: okay yeah. so you go on Hutta. what HUDA, the Hutt's planet is one of your planets that you can be on And of course, the Huts are like disgusting gangster capitalists like they're they've like uh, they've like moved into the planet and colonized it and enslaved the species of people that were living there already and destroyed the environment. And if you're playing on the dark side, the dark side missions in that game really do feel lousy a lot of the time. Even though you can select like light side options for how to go about them, most of the content of the missions it themselves is really disgusting. So like, there was one whole series of missions, of quests, where you have to invade this uh, warehouse, this like water plant that the local indigenous people have rebelled, like, they've risen up against the Huts and taken over this water plant for themselves. And the Huts hire you to go kill them. They hire you to just go into this place and raise it. Mm. I start the first, like, quest in this chain, and I realize what's happening, and I just stop doing it. I'm like, screw this, I'm not doing this quest. This just makes me feel terrible. And it's not worth the XP or the loot. And my brother gets on, and we're playing... And I tell him that, and and at first he goes, oh okay, and then he goes, well, oh, come on man, let's just let's just do these quests, let's just let's just do them, <laughs> let's just <laughs> come on man, let's get the XPs, look come on we gotta do we gotta do all the quests on the planet man, because like my completionist yeah. right, yeah completionist, he wants to do every single quest you can possibly do regardless of his content he's not even reading the story
0: no yeah not paying attention to it at all just clicking through the dialogue options
3: yeah i like the story too mm-hmm. which is the good thing about him he really he geeks out he's a geek just like me geeks out about the stories even more than i do about warcraft and everything but he for some reason like his his mastery player compulsions override his um his yes. like projection of himself as a moral being in the world, in the game world. Mm. Which is a weird thing. You know, it was interesting to kind of think about because I could see a sort of line between his way of thinking and your average awful troll. You know, know, internet guy who a sociopath and he's acting like a sociopath and he just has zero feelings of morality towards other people or ethics towards other people
0: right because the the game or the the mastery of the environment is so prioritized for them that they they stop taking the other can other things into consideration
3: yeah and i'm Mm -hmm. not saying and i'm i'm very much not saying that like all mastery players are trolls or that mastery players clearly mastering the game is their most is their biggest priority right yeah these are, are these are your categories that you invented for...
1: Yes. Your,
3: yeah. this, this is fabulous. <laughs> this is great theory.
1: They're really dead on, aren't they?
3: Well, they're dead on, and they're immediately easy to conceptualize and grasp, which is basically my two... Those are my two criteria. Yeah, Very yeah.
1: Thank you. Nicely- well, and the other thing that... I mean, while you were talking, Regina, I uh, while Chris was talking, I was thinking about this. I wonder how... These gamer types exhibit themselves in real life, like, mm-hmm. your brother's, like your brother's real life, Chris, because you're talking about moral situations. Is it that he can turn off those moral decisions when he sits down to enjoy his entertainment? Or is he inclined in that direction to make those type of decisions in real life as well?
3: Well, everybody can turn off their moral decisions at some level. And at some, you know, sort of level of seriousness, seriousness. Right? Like the famous milligram experiment in the fifties oh, yeah. and sixties proved that, right? Like a third of the people would actually kill somebody if they were told yeah. to. But
0: I don't I don't I we should probably like define that. those. <laughs> we should probably remind people what those that was the um the push the button to to punish the person in the other room.
2: Mm-hmm. right and and
0: mm-hmm. you couldn't actually see the the people who were pushing the button couldn't actually see what was happening but they could hear the reaction the person was having and a third of the people would push the button until the you know essentially the the person on the other side of the wall was dead Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah,
3: it's totally spooky, right? Yeah,
0: and <laughs> and the reason why at least I had to go through the inter, uh, the internal review board for for the research to make sure I didn't do that to anybody that I talked to. <laughs> oh, right. That's why
2: there are IRBs. That's why there right?
0: is an IRB because of, right. of that and the prison experiments they did at Stanford and all those things. It right. sort of pushed the boundaries of of how you should be treating your research subjects. I try I, yeah. I tried to tell them I was the one who was going to be damaged the most by the research, but nobody would listen to me. <laughs>
3: Well, I, you know, to get back to the question, I think, do people act like they're gaming avatars in general or do they act different in real life? My brother is a tremendously nice person and a caring person and is in both games and in real life. I see the personalities of all of the people I know in their play styles. Mm-hmm. You know, my brother also tends, my brother's also a tank, like a diet in, died in the wool tank, right? Like, <laughs> just loves to run after guys going, <laughs> He does not pay attention to whether you're following him. He's just running off on his own. And like, you better follow his ass or oh. else both of you are going to die. Man,
0: those were the tanks when I used to do pugs in, in World of Warcraft that would make me want to like poke my eyes out. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, yeah. slow down and keep up with the group. Now the ones who just like took off by themselves. Oh god. <laughs>
3: like, me and my friend Dan had this theory that we have theories about, you know, people's personality types and how people very often tend to play the same kinds of classes mm-hmm. in certain games and when they when they go outside of their kind of ideal type of class, they're really not as good. You know, my brother, my brother Dave is a terrible range DPSer, but he's a really, really great tank. Mm. And Dan is a great healer. And Dan's kind of a great all-around player, but and I you know, I like DPS. My dad likes to heal. It's it's funny. People people bring their people bring their personalities to games. Mm, absolutely. But, you know, when, when I taught I taught a game studies class at Wazoo my last semester that I was there, and it was an upper division class. The kids were pretty old, and mature, and we talked a lot about about trolling and about the way you act online, and I was really surprised to see how many of them had very little problem with acting mean online because you're protected by privacy. Right,
0: you're, you're, it's anonymous or you're, you're removed or whatnot. It's
3: like the Penny Arcade greater internet. I was just theory. thinking
0: that same thing. I actually used that, I actually mentioned that in the dissertation. <laughs> But nice. Because I my, my part of what I was saying in that was the the random um the random dungeon finder and WoW sort of yeah. amplified that process because wh- when you were doing pickup groups and you were on the same server your likelihood of running into a player again was at least somewhat likely you know even with the size of the servers in WoW but with the random dungeon finder the likelihood you were going to group with somebody again was so low that people just felt no, you know, hesitation to just rip into you if you weren't playing the way they thought you should play.
3: Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 I do remember that. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of put that, I was kind of, it was kind of at the end of my WoW career mm-hmm. there when that was instituted, but I I do remember that. Yeah, because they
0: rewarded you out. for playing because you got extra gold, like for doing yeah. um, random groups, you got extra gold, you got extra loot. Yeah. You know, later in the games, you would get um, you know the currency you needed to buy the upper echelon gear and and stuff like that. So they they rewarded people for playing it, and then that made it just that much worse. You get all these mm-hmm. rewards for playing. You're not playing with people who are on your server, so you're less likely to. Um, to run into them again, so you're you're more likely at least to... That was Mm -hmm. my experience as having been a Vanilla WoW player who went through a couple expansions and then went back in after the random dungeon finder was there, and I went back into it, and I'm like, oh my god, I don't ever remember people being quite this rude before, because I had Mm -hmm. multiple instances where people were like, you don't know what you're doing, and why are you doing that, and what are you doing? And I'm like, the whole reason why a role-playing game is dynamic and interesting is because everybody plays it differently. That's Mm -hmm. how it's supposed to work. You know, just because I'm not min maxing my DPS
1: doesn't mean I don't know how to play my class. But that's, of course. Yeah. If people, I mean, I'm I'm wondering about your theory. I mean, if people are given the choice of you're going to be able to play or do something online in anonymity, then why do people choose to be dirtbags instead of choosing to be decent? I have no idea. Mm,
3: Well, you know. (laughs) They can. (laughs) I I mean, it it sort of suggests that it suggests that many people are hiding their interior anti-socialism, you know, their their interior kind of hate. Yeah, for other people,
0: yeah, that it's a place that it or, can out and it's a safer environment than it is if you treat people like that in your work life or it's
3: right. They know that you can't do that. Everybody knows you, it's, it's kind of like racism now. Right. The way that racism works now, and I learned this from Victor, is everybody knows it's bad to act racist. Every, and by that, I mean, act bigoted, say bigoted things.
1: And so, bullying is every, the same way. Right.
3: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. You could uh, yeah. you,
1: you could either say bullying or racism or I mean that that hateful behavior right. toward yeah. a, a smaller or weaker person, Pur- purposely you know inflammatory and and yes
0: and and bad essentially yeah
3: yeah yeah so you know everybody knows that it's bad to do that so most of the time people are very buttoned up about it even to the point of of being afraid to talk about race altogether and believe me I live in Atlanta yeah. now and oh my God is it. Everything I read, everything I read in all of my race studies books about racism and its modern forms has been so obvious everywhere in the city. but um the you know the ways that people avoid talking about these things until they feel like they're anonymous mm-hmm. and they can get away with it, and then they come out. So I think it's almost like it's almost like we're seeing the sort of difference between the decorum that we have to have in everyday life where we have a real ethos tied to our body and the things that come out of our body to the way that we feel like decorum can go out the window along with our avid, you know, when we have a virtual body. Right,
0: right. When, when that body is a, a purple night elf or a, you know, Jamaican troll or whatever <laughs> whatever it is, yeah. whatever outside, you know, you can step outside yourself and play outside yourself, then it changes.
1: Well, it might be an interesting conversation to have some time. I don't want to, I definitely don't want to get it started now because we're, <laughs> we're having so much fun. But I also would wonder too, I mean, it, in a way, it sounds like you're saying that deep down there are more people who are bigoted and racist than our communication allows. But I would also wonder whether or not that, our society's form of communication and the in the forms of of media and media control or uh, political language, which I find to be a total lie from beginning to end the the mm-hmm. the politic the mm-hmm. politics language right.
2: mm-hmm. has
1: got has got society so confused and angry over the wrong things that we cannot oh, yeah. actually st- structurally and efficiently. Uh, solve these problems. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we're, we're actually handicapped by, by by this this poor public language mm-hmm. about these topics. Yeah. yeah. And and it's designed yeah, yeah. to keep
0: people well, down and to keep people from you know engaging in in the real discussions that could actually start solving problems. To maintain. That's exactly right. Yeah. This
3: is all on purpose. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. There's this no is accidents not, here. Oh this yeah. This is not accidental yeah. that like the powers that be construct the discourses the way that they do and that they prevent the real discussions from happening because if whoever controls the terms of the debate controls the debate
2: mm-hmm. and yeah. like
3: that's why it's like in the presidential debates they seem to talk past each other they're not even really talking to each yeah. other there's no so actual engagement going past on. each other because yeah. they're each trying to activate their own little sort of cultural um lenses
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's, and, it's all it's all yeah. it's all pr and marketing it's the same way with the with the um, the senator or whoever it was that came out as a game, right? I mean, it's very easy. They play the stereotypes. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's why it perpetuates.
0: Well and and the stereotypes build on fear and people flip yeah. out when they're afraid of things. And so it just all sort of snowballs on itself to Oh well if this is how she's behaving in game this must be who she really is and and I'm not going to say as you both know from my you know from my research I'm not going to say you don't map back and forth between the two, that how you play in game isn't reflected in, in your your offline life, but it, just because you enjoy a certain thing that you do online doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you're really going to be a backstabber <laughs> offline. You know, it's right. a rogue. That's yeah. what a rogue does. That's, you know, how they're supposed to play. That's their structure.
1: Yeah, and that's right. the that's the kind of lie they play with yes. because it, wasn't it in the Hunger Games uh, Don, Donald Sutherland's character said what is the opposite of hope, and that's fear. Yeah. yeah, Yep. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I mean, we, given the choice, that they would rather communicate to us through fear, yes. than through hope, yes. which would solve problems, which would give us a a positive. Form of communication instead of this negative form of communication, and Mm -hmm. and then when we get when we get offline and we get into an anonymous anonymous situation, we react the way that they tell us that we should be reacting. It's much easier to control the masses if
0: they're afraid. Oh yeah. People who are yeah. afraid are much easier to keep you know a lid on which which is you know if we're going to yeah. use the Hunger Games as an example and I haven't read them I've only watched the first movie you know that's that's what the um the tributes do they keep people afraid and so that keeps the masses under control and it's of course a metaphor for everything else that might be going on but
1: yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. See, I said I wasn't gonna get started on started, <laughs> but it's compelling.
0: <laughs>
1: I know no, it's just it's way too because, much fun to talk about. Yeah.
3: Well, no, and this is everything because this is the way that there are there are true and measurable, recognizable, and real links between the discourses of gamers and the discourses of politics, and unfortunately, they're all based on fighting. You know, they're all based on war. Right. War metaphors, right? Yeah. We love our war metaphors in the popular discourse, yeah. and war on everything, right? War on every- war on women, war on drugs, war on Christmas, right. <laughs> war on Christmas, <laughs> and of course games. Uh, you know, mo- uh, well, I don't know, I don't know about most, but like the, let's say the most popular video, the most popular video games, are war based. Their main gameplay type, in terms of the types of gameplay, Mm -hmm. is agonistic gameplay. Right, yeah.
0: You have to have a bad guy, and you have to have a good guy, and you have to have them fighting against each other. Right,
3: Right. and so you get things like, and and I think maybe, unfortunately, I don't know, people don't know when to leave. I think there's a great, healthy space for playing at war you know i mean it gets the blasties out
0: yeah yeah i mean mean, there's that that cathartic release that you have when you've had a bad day
3: there's something about our violent natures and our you know deep selves that you know we want to we want to be violent and games are i believe a very healthy outlet for that Mm -hmm. because i know they are for me yeah um
0: yeah, Well, I mean,
3: and for Ron everybody and I, I know, both, yeah, yeah,
0: we run and I both have had stories where we've said that, or it's like, oh yeah, so I was in a really bad mood, so I jumped on and played this for a while, so I got yeah, and, and I and I think it's healthy, and I think it is. There's a lot of positive. There's actually, um, I don't know if you guys follow Extra Credits. They they were on mm-hmm. the Escapist. They're now on the Penny Arcade. They had a a whole episode about play being nonviolent about, about taking the violence out of play uh, and out of games and, and talking about how, you know, you can still have a game without it being inherently violent.
3: Oh, you can have amazing games. Look at Portal. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Portal or
3: so many great games are nonviolent.
0: And then that goes back to, you know, a recurring conversation that we're having on the show where we talk about the definitions of casual versus hardcore gamers and definitions of uh-huh. skill and femininity and how they get, like, mixed up with casual and hardcore and how even okay. though some games are, you know, are core games in terms of, like, the expense. Like, if you're going to play The Sims, you're still playing – you're dropping 60 bucks on a game, but people think it's casual because they're you're not going out and beating the crap out of people.
3: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess I guess people would – That's funny that people think The Sims is automatically casual.
0: Well, uh, you know, I, I make the argument that I know plenty of people who play Facebook games like hardcore gamers, I mean, who have okay. multiple Facebook accounts. Uh, and I've said this multiple no, times, you probably get off my soapbox about it. But, you know, <laughs> they, these people are really serious about these games. And I, you know, and I played them for a while. And I'm like, I just can't understand why you would be so compelled to play these games. But, you know, but it's still there that that achievement or, or whatever fulfillment people are getting out of it still come out of those casual games, just as much as they do, you know, when I go in and I love level up in borderlands so
3: oh i know not to mention not to mention the games that actually do something so this brings me to what i'm what i'm doing now in my yeah, classes good.
0: See you right. nice so there. i started
3: thank you so i started doing this um I started doing the service learning version i was te- I've, I've been teaching tech comm technical communication which those of you who don't know that's professional english for mm-hmm. the georgia tech graduate uh, students who are about to graduate and go into jobs yeah,
0: i'm teaching that this semester too
3: Oh, nice. Yes. Techcom has saved my bacon, like, f- so many times over that, you know, it's my new, it's it's become my thing just because there's this demand for it. And, you know, for me, it's just all rhetoric. And it's right. it's a fun, it's just a fun rhetorical analysis to figure out what the genres are and how to write to them or speak so or just design. To, so, just started, to
1: clarify, it's not technical writing.
3: No, and it, and it's, well, it can be, but it can be and it is in many english departments still called technical writing but at georgia tech and at washington state they conceive of it more broadly they recognize okay. that in, in the modern in the postmodern world we are communicating through every mode we're communicating you know visually and linguistically orally in gesture mm-hmm. uh, in procedure in virtual procedure and right. so forth okay. and we're also communicating in every medium and so we need to be able to understand all of those rhetorics and think of communication and composition more broadly than just pen and paper or fingers and keyboard so
1: okay
3: good um, okay. okay so I teach this tech comm class and I started doing I was originally doing a game-based class where the class acted like a simulated company it's it acted like we we pretended that we were a company that made games. And for the first few semesters, we just did board games. And then I kind of branched out into video games a little bit. Although video games were very hard because they're so hard to produce. There's so much mm-hmm. programming goes yeah. into them. that Even the Georgia Tech kids, who are amazing programmers, were like, are you kidding, dude, in a semester? <laughs> and so – um you know, we would design games and, and they would test them and they would build them and they would kind of mark, they would make marketing materials for them. And it was great. It was just a really fun way to do the class and it was, and, and it worked as a simulation for a company. Although, I eventually got less and less confident in it, in how well it worked because I had never worked in the game industry. I had never actually run a company. So I was <laughs> like, you know, maybe this simulation doesn't have any connection to reality. I don't know. I don't really know. So, and I also kind of wanted that class to have more of a connection to the, the world, the actual world around the university. So I took this service learning approach that one of my predecessors in the fellowship had done. And, um, Dan Valero, he's now, he's now my new business partner. This class runs as a hybrid between a, a communication class and a communication consulting firm. So the students take on jobs like project manager and managing editor and writer and graphic designer and programmer. And they get in teams and they do projects for like local organizations, mostly local mostly nonprofits, couple of small businesses. We've done a few games and that's that's the really exciting thing is that this semester one of my student one of my teams is doing they're doing a project for a cardiac rehabilitation center in Albuquerque that has this diabetes self-management program and they want to turn it into a game. Awesome. And so my students are coming up with ways to make Initially, it's going to be web-based. And then eventually, probably in future semesters, I'll have future teams make an app out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, That'd be awesome.
3: Yeah, it needs to be an app, mm-hmm. right? But yes. you can't make that originally in, yeah. in just one semester. So basically, yeah. in this in this semester, they're just going to hash out the rules mostly.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And, and how um, to apply sort of game theory to yes. the health program.
3: Yes. Right. Yes. And so it's very much, you know, they are looking at those social games like on like the Zynga games and everything mm-hmm. because they have so much great um, networking right so many great networking systems in them and obviously this game needs that because right. you know people are going to want to keep up with my thinking is that we'll probably have people in teams and they'll be you know they'll be entering their blood sh- sugar levels and their exercise amounts and
0: right what they the ate, ate and
3: and, and, yeah. and all of it'll get scored somehow And then they'll, you know, enter this into the program and they'll, you know, maybe compete with each other in some kind of light way.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, How many check-ins you could do or how many, yeah, 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 you can kind of measure, yeah.
3: Exactly. We could even measure. We could even measure um, social interaction mm-hmm. yeah. as a gaming mm-hmm. activity, yeah, as a exactly. positive activity that gets you points. Right. You know, right. you get on and you encourage somebody else. Maybe you get a point for that. Or you
0: could link to other social games that people might use on. You know, as you said, when when you do develop it into an app, you know, link to other social games that people play. You know, if you play yeah. with this person, maybe you can get extra points for it or yeah. whatever.
3: My guess is that. There are already many apps mm-hmm. that do the kinds of measurements that we would need our app to do. Yeah. like I mean, there's 50,000, you know, blood glucose yeah. level.
0: I was apps. using a, a, a personal trainer app for a while called My Fitness Pal, and you could get your friends to use it and register, and then you can keep track and you know
3: i have one called g fit Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) the same idea there's also which we've mentioned before we we did an episode on gamification with a friend of mine from high school who's a marathon runner and he gamified his marathon running and like power-ups and level-ups and you know all that as he was running marathons and um in that episode i talked about the zombies run game have you heard of that Mm -mm. it's an app that you download and you run it it uses your gps as you're running to track your locations and you know and it's narrating as you're listening to music it's narrating you in the zombie apocalypse so you're (laughs) runner five and you're out for medical supplies today so you're going to make sure to get to the hospital and do this and then zombies will be chasing you at different points in time and as a motivation <laughs> strategy and it's, it's really brilliant. So
2: that is, that is quite yeah, brilliant. So
0: those are That's some cool. of the kinds of things you might have your class look at as well in terms of yeah. different things yeah. they can be incorporating. Cause you could maybe link to zombies run, you know, and say, okay, if you get, you know, this achievement in zombies run, we can give you points for that in our app too. So. Oh yeah. Something like that.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, at the very least Study it for its mm-hmm. scoring system.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So, man, you know they really should be paying me. Cause I plug that app more often.
2: <laughs>
0: than anything and I don't use it I'm not a runner I have no desire to run whatsoever so I love the concept I wish they had something for like weight training that was similar but um, yeah but I uh, because I'm not I'm there's no way I'm going to be running so
2: <laughs> <But> I
0: dance <laughs> running no, a I have no problem dancing but um, I'm not going to be running anytime soon
3: <laughs> I like biking you just get further
0: yeah
1: <laughs> it's not as hard on your body Go faster either. yeah yeah
3: yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the project sounds super cool it does, Chris. Yeah. did the, oh, did the class like it
3: they are stoked the, the kids are way stoked about it they're already working hard on it and um, they're especially excited because I just got I just got um, a book chapter in a for a book on games and tech techcom um, accepted for this mm-hmm. to, to basically tell the story of this project. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So they're, the students are all going to get um, contributor credit on that. So Jeez.
0: Oh, that's fantastic.
3: Yeah, so it's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah I'm that's glad rad rad for all of us, including
0: them, because that's you know so easy to overlook the contributions that they might give you to this. And this is really-
3: oh my god, how could I not? I mean, they're doing most of the work. Well. I'm just you know, <laughs> I'm just kind of back on the sidelines, kind of coaching them along.
0: You're the cheerleader. You can mm-hmm. do it. That's awesome.
1: Well, we unfortunately, I'm afraid, we're running out of time. What are there any other projects or anything else that you're working on right now, Chris, that uh, you'd like our audience to know about? Well, it sounds like you got your hands full.
3: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I kind of yeah, have my hands full. I, uh, I would have, I would have more stuff to say about lights and Communications, but I don't. I we're we're still working on our first projects and kind of getting off the ground at this point. And, That's cool, um,
0: though. Yeah, that is cool. And, and we can, it's you know...
3: We can super exciting. Follow
0: up with us, too. Uh,
3: I absolutely will, and uh, I'll let you know how the how this game app turns out, mm-hmm. this diabetes game. I think it's going to be really sweet. I think um, I already met, uh, like, a client for the spring who is a, kind of a similar... They're not a cardiac center, but they're kind of a wellness organization up here, or down, I should say... Down here in Georgia, Joja, <laughs> um, uh, they uh, perked their ears up. But the idea that they could maybe take that game and tweak it for their own purposes—nice. So I think it'll it'll take off. It'll work. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna run.
0: Yeah, I, I I have good feelings about it for you. It sounds really exciting and like. I, I love innovative teaching, as you probably remember from our time in, uh, mm-hmm. in uh, <laughs> our How yes. to Teach 101 class that we had together many, many years yes. ago. <laughs> yes,
3: yes, yes. Good times. Grad oh,
0: Oh, fond memories of those days. Yes. So I, I love the idea of, of your students doing something that has real world application, especially in tech communications.
3: It, uh, completely uh, revived. <laughs> teaching for me, mm-hmm. and or kind of put it into a new, I don't know, I think maybe it was what I was meant to be doing all along, and I just finally found it, Yeah. but um, that's kind of what it feels I like, You
0: know how actually. that feels. <laughs>
3: yeah. And I have enormous, enormous, constant buzz going right now, yeah. which is pretty thrilling. Yeah,
0: that's pretty awesome. Thrilling. That's awesome.
3: Cool. So, uh,
0: do you have, um, do you want people to follow you on Twitter? Do you have a Twitter account? I don't even know, actually.
3: Well, I, I do, although I don't really use it much, um, so... Not really, That's I didn't, I, yeah, I, I'm not an avid Twitterer, <laughs> Twitter kind of annoys me, it's kind of like too cacophonous I don't for Don't
0: that too loud, because lots of our listeners are tw- our people that we talk to on you
3: Twitter. Know, so. Like the social value of Twitter, I, I love Twitter as a sort of a, a, a theoretical concept, like a, a
0: means of communication.
3: <laughs> I love what it has done for the world, mm-hmm. and I love that it's there, but I personally find it cacophonous. And I
1: think like, Rhonda just, would agree with that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it, t- G- Regina forced me back into Twitter, and <laughs> it's it's one of those things that either occupies absolutely a hundred percent of my time. My it's it's hard to find a a way to use it where it is actually useful.
3: Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah. sucks. It's like a rabbit hole. It, yes. yeah.
1: It is. It is definitely
0: that for sure. But but we've we've had some great success and and done some great networking on Twitter. So I can't I can't. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have known Rhonda if it weren't for Twitter. So,
3: Very yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, okay. I will put out one one a couple of plugs since since we're doing this here at the end for for my own work. You can see my own work at Ritter dot com. Um, it's there for now. It's going to be moved to a new domain name very soon, uh, and get redesigned. Because um, I'm on the job market, I got to make my website all slick. <laughs> uh, so, uh, um,
0: but, you, but Ritter, people can uh, read your uh, dissertation there too. They can the check. The out. Dissertation yeah.
3: lives there. Yeah. it's entirely online. It was always meant to be online. So the dissertation is there, and it's. I tried to make it readable. So if anybody wants to, you know. Engage. You can leave a comment and I'll write back. It's okay. fun. Okay. And and also, uh, you can check out what my classes are doing at courses.cjritter.com. Okay. And what my colleagues, my awesome, forward thinking, savvy colleagues here at Georgia Tech, are doing at the website Textiles. Textiles would be TECH edu. Okay.
0: Well, I'll have links for all those up on the on the page for the show as well. So people can sure. check that out so they can go to Game On Girl and see exactly where to find Chris Ritter and all the fabulous stuff that he's doing. So thanks.
3: Oh, I actually, oh go ahead. I got that link wrong. I'm sorry. I, I opened it up to double check the textile link. Uh, it's textile. So it's tech style okay. Dot L-M-C dot dot edu. Awesome. Okay. Good. We'll get it right. <laughs> Thank it was you, Chris. A blast.
0: Oh, this is a great conversation. We appreciate you coming on and
1: uh, spending some time with us today.
3: It was my pleasure and honor.
1: Well, if our listeners would like to give us any feedback or chime in to talk about what we've discussed today with Chris, you can leave your feedback through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl, or through our website at girl dot com. You can email Regina at girl dot com or Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And you can find us on Facebook at Game On Girl Podcast. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. Or you can read my tech blog at
0: droolonthefrog.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz, with two Z's as I'm known on Twitter. Many, many thanks to Chris for coming on the show and talking to us today about his experiences taking game culture and gamification into the real world within his teaching and service learning teaching. That was really fantastic insights that we got to share today, so thanks to him for coming on the show. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links along with references made in the show and some information about Chris as well can be found on our website gameongirl.com and you can always leave comments there. We love getting your comments on the site which we do end up sharing as we did today in this episode on on the shows as we go through them so please make sure to share there. This podcast is edited with audacity and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening, and until next time, game on!